Hello and welcome back to the Spiked Podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and this week I'm delighted to have joining me down the line comedian and broadcaster Andrew Doyle. Hello. And Spiked columnist and author Rakib Essan. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the cancellation of Graham Linehan, the calls in Germany to ban the AFD and the autistic girl that was arrested by police for calling an officer a lesbian. A comedy gig featuring Graham Linehan, the comedy writer best known for Father Ted and the IT crowd, was cancelled this week at the Edinburgh Fringe. The venue, the Leith Arches, was due to host a gig for Comedy Unleashed, a free speech comedy night. But the venue decided that as an inclusive venue, someone who holds Graham's views could not perform. Graham is known to hold gender critical views. Now, Andrew, you're involved with Comedy Unleashed. You're one of the founders, so you're kind of responsible for this gig. I mean, what the hell was your reaction to all this? Well, it was a bit shocking because when we uh, booked the show, we were a bit late to the party. We uh, we were a bit late to get into the Fringe brochure. Uh, we just we just decided last minute, look, let's have a presence in Edinburgh because we think mm. that the, the comedy industry uh, is very much suffering from groupthink. And that's why Comedy Unleashed was set up. And so we wanted to go up there and platform some comedians who don't normally get platforms. So we had a one-off show at the Leith Arches on the 17th of August. Um, and we'd actually advertised the bill uh, as five comics on the bill. But Graham Linehan, we didn't advertise it first. We put a, a sort of shadow on the poster with surprise cancelled comedian on it, which we thought was sort of a fun way to, to tease it. Um, and then there were a few, day, a few days before the show on Monday, I, I, we announced that it was Graham. Uh, my thinking was, I mean, I know he's a contentious figure, but my thinking was, you know, it's too late to cancel. Activists aren't going to do anything at this point. Uh, you know, it'll be fine. Um, so we just announced that. And then um, they, the venue posted on Instagram and they posted this big sort of illiterate screed about uh, how offensive he was and how they wouldn't allow uh, his views to violate their space. I mean, it was a, a sort of very histrionic language. Uh, and of course, it's just comedians telling jokes. That that yeah. was so. It 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 was. I know that Jerry Sadowitz was cancelled last year. His show was cancelled up there. But with Jerry, you know, he he'd done a show. Members of staff at the Pleasance had seen the show, been so uptight and clutched their pearls that the second show was then completely cancelled. But this is a show where I mean, Graham's never performed at the Fringe before. Yeah. He's only done five stand-up gigs, all of them at Comedy Unleashed in London. He's new to the game. Uh, he's one of the most brilliant comedy writers that we have. You know, he's an absolute genius and he's very famous for it. But when it comes to stand-up, this is a new venture for him. So I genuinely didn't believe that they would want to cancel this particular show, irrespective of how controversial he is, particularly at the Edinburgh Fringe, where anything goes, or at least that's the way it used to be. And and he says that um, he only wanted to tell jokes about uh, Netflix subtitles and pizza boxes and things like that, you know. His material doesn't really have anything to do with um, trans. No, that's right. I mean, the, the the various sets that he's done at Comedy Unleashed, they've had nothing to do with the topic. That's not to say he couldn't talk about the topic or indeed that he ought to be cancelled if he did. You know, as a stand-up, as a performer, as an artist, you should be able to do whatever you want, talk about whatever you want, whatever subject it is. And if people don't like uh, the comedy that you're doing, they can choose not to buy a ticket. That should solve the problem. Uh, yeah. But the problem here is that we've got a group of authoritarians, just a handful of authoritarians who have said, well, 
because we don't like it, no one else can get to choose what they see. And that's the real problem here. It's partly the people who have emailed the venue. The venue claimed that they had lots of outraged emails. Outraged is their word. And so they chose to cancel the show. They actually put the word cancelled in block capitals in their statements. There was no ambiguity about this. So for all people say that cancel culture doesn't exist, they still use the lingo of it. Uh, so you've got the problem of the, the people complaining. And then you've got the, the venue itself. Uh, from what I gather, members of staff uh, weren't happy about him being there or the fact that they didn't know it was Graham. But look, they knew it was Comedy Unleashed. They know what our ethos is. They yeah. know that we have, make a, have a principle of platforming cancelled comedians and Graham definitely falls into that category. They knew, we'd, we'd, you know, there's absolutely no reason why they should suddenly decide when they know the types of people that we're booking that that controversial comics shouldn't be allowed. It's utterly, utterly bizarre. And, and Rakeeb, I mean, the thing that Graham is, is famous for perhaps infamous for in these activist circles is that he is, you know, a trenchant critic of gender identity ideology. He, he you know, um, no holds barred when he's talking about this this issue. Why do you think that issue in particular seems to uh, set people off in this way? Well, I just think that it's another example of how censorious radical transgenderism is. And um, I think if truth be told, I, I always see comedy as something that it, it should be daring. Uh, and, and I think that as I say, if people aren't happy with the material or the content, it's simple. They don't have to attend the Edinburgh Fringe. It's quite as simple as that. They have the freedom not to attend. But I think to deprive the freedom of those who would like to attend and enjoy that material, I think it just shows how sour and the, the sort of bitterness which is contained within radical transgenderism, really, which I think is, is very much a threat to... Well, I, I talk a great deal in, in previous episodes about sort of women's rights, the, the, the more serious elements, you know, sensitive sex, um, same-sex spaces and all the rest of it. But here we have, um, we have it, it is ultimately a handful, handful of authoritarians now who are deciding what qualifies as acceptable comedy content and what doesn't qualify. And I think that that's not really their right at all. It's not their place to do that. And, and Andrew, obviously, you know, cancel culture is a very serious problem, but why do you think it seems to be almost worse in comedy than anywhere else? I mean, we've had several comedians come out almost agreeing with the cancellation. We had, you know, Joe Caulfield saying she was proud to live in Leith where this gig was due to take place. Uh, we had Mark Lamar come out saying, um, I don't know what people are talking about. Comedians have being able to say whatever they like. Um, others, others making more veiled comments. Robin Ince referring to that transphobic writer. What do you make of that reaction from that particular world, Andrew? I find it completely baffling that artists and creatives of all people should turn on each other when it comes to the notion of creative freedom. Uh, you know, com comedians are meant to be the people who can think outside the box. Uh, we're meant to have a, a range of views. And that's what The Fringe is particularly about. And The Fringe always had complaints from reactionaries, you know, going back to the, you know, The Fringe dates back to the late 1940s. But like from the 70s onwards, probably the 60s onwards, you always had sort of the Christian right complaining about the degeneracy on The Fringe and that kind of thing. These are the same, this is the same mindset. It's just that now it's not coming from religious groups. It's coming from um, gender ideologues. They're, they've sort of taken on that mantle, that role of being these sort of very um, uh, pearl-clutching types who, who want to decide for everyone else what, what they can enjoy. But they are emboldened this time. Whereas before when the Christian right did it, uh, comedians were united against them. Even the yeah. religious ones, I think. Everyone sort of said, no, we're not having this. You don't get to decide. The difference now is that within the industry itself, there is a poison. The comedy industry itself is completely captured by this ideology. And so therefore, it is being policed effectively by 
not just comedians, but promoters by venues, by comedy critics, even, you know, I think the website Chortle, which is the industry website, is very captured by this ideology. And what that means is that young up and coming comics, they're never going to be subversive or innovative, really, because if they were, they they know that they can't get anywhere within this industry. I mean, if you take um, the uh, the launch of the 2018 uh, Edinburgh Festival um which are five years ago, Nika Burns, who was the head of the Comedy Awards, launched the festival with a speech saying uh, that she was looking forward to comedy in the new woke world. And that's yeah. her phrase, not mine. She said that she was looking forward to the woke movement, deciding what the parameters of acceptable comedy ought to be. Now, when you get one of the top uh, figures in the comedy industry launching the top comedy festival in the world, with that speech, it was not really a speech. It was an edict. It was saying, this is where the industry is going. And if you want to get booked and if you want to be successful, if you want to get the awards, if you want to get nominated, you know, it's no coincidence that since then, the nominees for these awards have predominantly been those who are politically on side or fulfill a certain criteria that isn't the criteria of merit. Hmm. So the, the point of this is that now uh, everyone's following suit. Everyone has played along with that edict ever since then. And things are getting worse and worse and worse. But comedy, historically, only thrived with the risk takers, the ones yeah. who are really kind of throwing it down. Lenny Bruce, Joe Rivers, Patrice O'Neill, the kind of people who are who are who do risk causing offense and do risk getting it wrong. Um, and we can't live in that kind of atmosphere when even the most fashionable and the um, acts, the 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 comedians who are considered to be the most uh, trendy, the ones who set the pace, they're the ones who are. On the side of the authoritarians. It's absolutely yeah. absurd. We weren't here 10, 15 years ago. I don't know what's gone wrong, but it's about time that venues and comedians and critics and all of these people stood up and said, free expression is the most important thing when it comes to the arts and particularly when it comes to comedy. It cannot exist without it. And, and Rakeem, just quickly, I mean, the result of all this is for us punters, <laughs> it's just really bland comedy where we're just told what to think. No, absolutely. And I think that Andrew makes a really good point here that there may be younger up and coming comedians who, who would want to make a living out of being a comedian who might think that they might, they might be pressured into a sort of self-censorship in a sense after seeing this, that they might want to make jokes um, about a particular topic, about a particular subject, but they may feel that they, they might not be able to because they may be cancelled at a very early stage. There may be other comedians who will take on that risk if they're more experienced. They're more established and they're more economically like secure. your Ricky Gervaises, for instance. Absolutely, so, and and I think that if 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 that is something that develops and becomes entrenched, then it might even it, it might even blunt um, the the overall quality of comedy that we see over time. And I, I think that would be very very sad to see. And and finally, Andrew, um, can we turn this around? I mean. You know, Comedy Unleashed is is doing its thing. You know, all of this uh, nonsense about cancelling Graham's show, uh, our show in Edinburgh, um, has proven the point that Comedy Unleashed and the likes need to exist. Mm. Uh, so the activists have done us a favour in, in in that respect. Uh, whether we can turn it around, I mean, what Rakib says is absolutely right. I mean, but it's not just that it might happen. It is happening. I'm contacted by comedians all the time saying uh, that they self-censor uh, yeah. because of the nature of the industry, because they want to be successful. We've had comedians pull out of gigs because of pressure from activists because they still want to be able to get on the BBC onto panel shows, even though they're all dying a death. So um, the self-censorship thing is very real. It is already happening. I don't think in the woke climate any decent art can be produced, never mind comedy. I don't think, I can't think of a single 
artist who could who would refer to themselves as woke or be called woke who has produced anything of real value i don't think it's possible so it is a stifling condition it is a disaster for the arts uh we're trying to push back at comedy unleashed but we would urge other um people within the industry to do the same because we need more voices with this i've been a bit heartened with the graham linehan case where some people who've normally been on the wrong side of this debate have, have come out and said actually this is going a bit too far there's an element to that uh, we've managed to get another venue for our gig uh, so that will be going ahead we're not going to let it stop us we're going to do it anyway uh, and what we're doing is we're just we're not telling anyone where the venue is we're just going to email the ticket holders uh, we don't want activists turning up and ruining it it will go ahead but what i would like to see is a kind of concerted effort amongst other uh, performers and promoters to try and you know reclaim what comedy is meant to be because at the moment it is in a parlous state so here at Spiked, we talk a lot about the dangers of big tech. We all know that corporations like Google and Amazon are harvesting our data and threatening our free speech online. But is there actually anything you can do about it? I mean, we rely on these online services for pretty much everything, whether it's for our shopping, our socializing, and even our banking these days. The good news is, though, it doesn't actually take that much for you to make a stand. For less than $7 a month, you can use ExpressVPN to fight back against big tech. Now, obviously, you don't pay for services like Facebook, YouTube, or Google directly, but that's because you're the product. Big tech companies make their money by tracking your searches, your history, what videos you watch, and basically everything you click on. And they can then sell that information on to third parties. ExpressVPN helps you anonymize what you do online by hiding your IP address. That's your device's little unique identifier that allows the tech firms to trace your activity back to you. So that's why I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. It makes it much more difficult for corporations to exploit my data for their own profits. The best part is that the ExpressVPN app is so easy to use. I just tap one button on my phone or my computer to turn it on. And that's all it takes to protect my personal data. So if you want to stop big tech from snooping, do what I've done and visit expressvpn.com spiked right now to protect your online freedom and privacy. That's expressvpn.com slash spiked. Expressvpn.com slash spiked. So German politicians are now actively considering banning the AFD, the alternative for Germany party, now that it's rising in the polls. Last week, the German president um, gave a very coded speech uh, suggesting that the enemies of democracy are on the march and we need to do something about it. He didn't name the AFT as such because he has to stay politically neutral, but everyone knew what he was getting at. I mean, Rakeep, this would be a pretty extraordinary step in a modern democracy to ban a party that has a lot of popular support. Well, well there, is, there is a history in Germany of, of banning um, political parties, but I think that the real issue here is that you have a German political establishment which, which simply just what doesn't want to take the concerns and grievances of those were flocking towards the alternative for Deutschland uh, seriously. Uh, I wrote about the 2015 migrant and refugee crisis and the impact that was having on German society. Uh, and many people, if they're familiar with German society, they'll know that Germany has even struggled to integrate third and fourth generation people of Turkish origin who were born and raised in Germany. So I made the point that if you put on top of that, the 2015 migrant refugee crisis, um, many... Uh, people coming from countries such as uh, Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, 
that's going to exacerbate the country's existing problems when it comes to integration. These recent polling figures are quite something, polling as high as 21%. I just find it absolutely remarkable, though, that the German political establishment's reaction is now nothing really to understand what is concerning these uh, voters, um, which, are, which are now entertaining the possibility of voting for the alternative for Deutschland, um, how, how we can play a part in actually reducing the AFD's vote share. It seems like they're now entertaining the possibility of just banning the party completely, which in a way, not back for it, might even increase its popularity further. Yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of issues even beyond uh, migration that voters are, are angry about. You know, the energy crisis in particular has mm -hmm. hit Germany hard, and yet the German government is still very wedded to green politics in particular. Um, you know, there are lots of economic troubles. But, um, I mean, Andrew, what do you make of this sort of argument that is being made that actually in order to defend democracy... In order to save democracy, we basically have to destroy it <laughs> by uh, silencing about a fifth of the population. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of that common misinterpretation of Karl Popper's paradox, you know, the, par the paradox of tolerance, uh, mm -hmm. that we need to sort of not to uh, tolerate uh, the intolerant. Uh, but it, it, it wasn't quite what he meant. I mean, he was very clear that we should tolerate uh, all ideas and the individuals so long as they have the capacity for debate or rational debate. You know, he's not saying that we should just silence all views that we disagree with, even if they are pernicious. Um, I think this is an example of people sort of ad addressing the symptom rather than the cause. The reason why lots of people are gravitating towards this party is, well, it's manifold. Uh, sometimes it is a protest situation. It's a sense of broad dissatisfaction. What you need to do, therefore, is to present arguments as to why that party does not deserve your vote, uh, why it would, why this is not the kind of protest that you should pursue, and why there are better options. Ultimately, democracy it works. Uh, it's not perfect, uh, but it's better than authoritarianism. And I don't understand this idea. Uh, it, it, it's it's a broader problem in society at the moment. This notion of just just silencing opposition, things that we things that we fear rather than uh, trusting the marketplace of ideas and trusting humanity and trusting individuals and citizens to engage with ideas and to be persuaded. Uh, I, so I, I just think this is completely the right and exactly what Rakim said. This stuff does backfire. Just yeah. historically, it always does because it enables these groups to position themselves as martyrs. These, you know, this is not the party, the kind of party that I would ever support or come close to supporting. But I do know uh, that banning them is is possibly the worst thing you can do, particularly when it comes to these these uh, right wing parties, whose appeal is largely down to this this notion that they are being victimized. They really do play like the woke. They really play with the notion of victimhood and capitalize upon it. So I would say trust in democracy uh, is a, is a much better way, a much better approach, and you can't uphold democracy uh, through censorship. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we should we absolutely shouldn't ignore the sort of nastier elements of the of the AFD. You know, there have been uh, ties to the sort of uh, far right marches of Pegida. There have been uh, leading figures who've downplayed the Holocaust. There are, you know, undoubtedly some nasty elements. But is that really what voters are flocking towards? It seems unlikely. There have been many attempts at uh, kind of uh, neo-Nazi parties that haven't um, won over the public in in the same way um, in modern Germany. I mean, Rakib. Um, this is you could say this is actually part of a broader trend in sort of liberal democracies, especially from the sort of liberal establishment where the idea is that, you know, we can solve our problem. We can get rid of the populists through sort of legal means. I mean, I'm thinking of, um, you know, Trump's legal troubles, but not just that. Think of the crusade against disinformation or the censorship that is rising up against uh, supposedly, you know, 
the things that are tricking people into voting the wrong way. I mean, do you see that broader pattern? Well, I mean, first I made the point, I know that, that, that there are clearly uh, highly unsavoury elements of the AFD, um, very much characterised by neo-Nazism and a particularly aggressive form of anti-Semitism. We also have to make the point within that 21% there are people who are not ethnically German or who are entertaining the possibility of um, voting for the alternative for Deutschland. So I think that we really need to engage with the concerns of those voters. And, and, and Andrew's absolutely right that it's a quite remarkable response that will entertain the possibility of banning a political party, which is primary appeal is anti-establishment victimhood. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's quite quite shocking. I think what's really interesting is something that I, I thought about that I think actually one of the positives of Brexit was that the UK managed to distance themselves for a little bit. This is happening at the heart of Europe, where you have the AFD, which is now polling one in five voters, and then the response of the political establishment there in Germany is that we should outlaw this party in in our own country, as opposed to having confidence in our own policies in the marketplace of ideas, as Andrew said. So uh, I think that for all its flaws, Britain's multi-ethnic democracy is not looking in too bad shape, especially when we're seeing what's going on in Germany at the moment and the more recent and the rights which recently took place in France. And and Andrew, what do you make of the fact that it does seem to be the sort of more self-described liberal side of politics that is reaching for authoritarian measures um, a lot of the time? Well... They're not liberal at all, though. That's the point. So uh, the, those who are suggesting that this is the approach, that, that, is, a, that is an illiberal approach. But I, um, I, I think authoritarianism is something that has an appeal irrespective of political inclination. You know, I think uh, George Orwell couldn't get Animal Farm published for quite some time uh, because people were just shocked at the idea that uh, he had exposed the left as, being, as, as having a propensity for authoritarianism in the way that the right do. And they never forgave him for that. You know, there's still some... Uh, Stalinists out there who still uh, d d demean him for this and say that it's completely unacceptable. So I'm not actually surprised. Uh, but I do think that as soon as you start calling for censorship of your political opponents, you can't really call yourself a, a liberal anymore. Uh, and I think you have hit on it. When you, when you mention these sort of very nefarious, unpleasant aspects of the AFD, well, emphasize those, you know, remind people of that and, and, and explain why you know this 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 is not acceptable uh, in a liberal democracy to have to have people like that in charge but ultimately it has to be about the voters it has to be about the power of the demos uh, because if you're in power simply because you've obliterated your opponents and not given people the chance to vote for them are you really in power at all and you'll generate an awful lot of resentment from the voters it's not good hi it's fraser here i just wanted to let you know about an incredibly exciting event we've got coming up for his next live podcast, Brendan O'Neill will be in conversation with Michael Schellenberger. For those of you who don't know, Michael Schellenberger is a best-selling author, and he's one of the journalists behind the Twitter files. Michael and Brendan will be talking about everything from the censorship industrial complex to the cult of climate change and much, much more. The event is free if you're a spiked supporter. All you have to do is claim your free ticket from the online donor hub. And if you're not a Spike supporter, then now is the time to sign up. For just £5 per month, not only will you get access to this free event, you'll also get access to many, many other exclusive perks from ad-free reading to access to the comment section and access to all kinds of other events like this one. So to become a Spike supporter, just go to spikes-online.com forward slash supporters. That's spikes-online.com 
com forward slash supporters. See you at the event. So last week, a 16-year-old autistic girl was arrested after she describes a female police officer with short blonde hair as looking like a lesbian like my nana. There's some disturbing footage that's gone viral. It shows around seven police officers sort of manhandling this, this girl, carting her off um, as she kind of cries out in distress. She was taken into custody. Eventually, she was released. Uh, she's not been charged. And the police are dropping all of the investigations. Now, Andrew, we were talking earlier about um, the threat of cancel culture to free speech, but it seems there is an equally pernicious, perhaps even more dangerous threat coming from the state and from the police and from the law. What I don't understand about this case is that, you know, you can't uh, arrest someone for something that they, they say on their private property. I mean, the police cited the mm -hmm. public order bill, but the public order bill has a dwelling defence within it. So you can't, you can't. So and my understanding of this case is that it was something that she said inside that was or at least on the property that, that the police officer heard. Uh, what's been very strange is that the West Yorkshire Police have not, they've claimed that there's more information to this than we than we know about, body cam footage and the like, more circumstances which will add further context. Why has none of this, to my knowledge, it hasn't been re released yet. I mean, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and of course, uh, well, it, it raises a suspicion that there isn't really much to release. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that the police for a long time now have been policing what people say uh, rather than going after criminals. They've been very concerned about the notion of causing offence. That video is really bad because the autistic girl is hitting her head and screaming. Uh, the behavior of the, the police officer who instigates the arrest, it looks very much like she is personally offended at having uh, and, and has deemed this a homophobic uh, slur. But ultimately, I come back to this point. The police have no business arresting anyone for what they say. Frankly, yeah. even if that was said on the street, it doesn't qualify as harassment, which is already illegal. Uh, it wasn't even homophobic as it happens because the grandmother of the child is gay has a partner, and she was making that point that there's a resemblance. So there's, it's, it, you know, it, it's something that this police officer has chosen to be offended by. I think this raises serious questions uh, about the police and the extent to which they have now uh, been captured, largely by the training from the College of Policing, uh, and that they now seem to think it is their job uh, to monitor our thoughts. Um, this is, uh, well, you know, I know it's a cliche, but it is Orwellian. Yeah, definitely. And I should say that um, Spiked has got in touch with the West Yorkshire Police and they haven't offered us any of the information and I don't think anywhere anything is going to be forthcoming, quite frankly, dare I say it, um, especially now they've dropped the investigation. Um, Rakeep, you know, the police at the moment have quite a lot of, you know, quite a dizzying array of tools at their disposal to um, clamp down on speech. You know, this example was use of the Public Order Act. They said it was a homophobic public order offence. Mm. There's also various hate speech laws. There's online communication laws for things you say online that could be um, considered offensive. I mean, the, we're in a pretty terrifying situation, aren't we? Especially that the police, you know, seem very eager to make use of these laws. Absolutely. There's, there's, a, there's a wide range of censorious instruments for the police to utilise um, if, if, they, if they wish to. Uh, but I think the real issue here is that how the police treated was a vulnerable individual. Yeah. And there is, is there is a vulnerability involved in this, and and I think for me, I, I think that all too often I see the police they they look a bit squeamish and a bit soft that they can't do very much when it comes to how do you say uh, more intimidating criminals uh, who are up to no good in their local communities in, in local neighbourhoods. But it's very easy to pick on this individual, quite clearly, and and I was quite shocked by the footage, if truth be told, in terms of how. Um, was was the girl sixteen years of age? Yeah, sixteen. Was, yeah. And, and 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 with autism, 
And where's the compassion there? The irony is that we, they, it's all well, you know, we, we have to take action when people, you know, they, they um, produce hate speech and all the rest of it. And they, they see that as being compassionate. Where's the compassion here? Where's the yeah. patience? Where's the understanding? And I think it's, I, I think it's, it's a terrible era for policing, I mean, if, if truth be told. It just seems like there's scandal after scandal, and we're talking. You know, apparently there's investigations dropped here against the six, uh, the, the um, uh, autistic teenager. I think there needs to be an investigation actually into the police's actions over this yeah. particular incident. And it's interesting that how actually there's you know a few examples of sort of autistic people getting caught up as if you know people who have difficulty mm. um, with social interactions seem to be uh, at real danger from this kind of thing. And if you think about the boy. Um, in Wakefield, was it where he he scuffed a Koran? And the interesting thing is that he received tons of death threats, but the police did nothing about that. Instead, the police arranged a meeting to have him and his mother apologise to, um, you know, an angry, uh, a angry uh, kind of religious um, bigots. I guess that's a very good example, isn't it? Because that's uh, the I mentioned how the police have se seemingly gone along with this identitarian grievance ideology. And uh, Islam is particularly high on that list of uh, oppressed characteristics. And so they would see uh, blas that part of their role is to enforce uh, Muslim bla Islamic blasphemy law, right? And we saw yeah. this again at the Batley Grammar School, the way that the police, you know, d allowed the, the mob outside the school to completely dominate, even though the guy who'd been accused ended up in death threats and I think is still in hiding to this day. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and you're absolutely right to raise this issue of compassion. Maybe it's a lack of training. Maybe they don't understand autism. Uh, but even if you didn't, you could have see, seen how that girl was behaving yeah. uh, and, and what was happening to her. And they, they you know, they, their basic human instinct should have prevented them from behaving the way they did. What do you think this means for free speech more, more broadly? I mean, we are in, it feels like we're in a bit of a hole right now. For free speech in this country, it's really important that the, the government and our law enforcement agencies and the judiciary, all of these figures of authority are on side. Uh, that we remember that we we do believe in free speech in this country. We don't have a codified constitution. We don't have a First Amendment, but we do have a tradition of free speech. The first thing that we need to do is sort out the College of Policing. That's really, really important. All of these quangos, all of these bodies that appear to have been completely captured, uh, which the government refuses to do anything about. I know we've had them push through um, and explain that the hate crime, non-crime hate incidents have to be abolished, but that was really hard. And, you know, the College of Policing kept uh, resisting that. So I think ultimately we need to get back to the principles of free speech. It needs to be, uh, uh, and the government needs to get on side with this. So they need to repeal the Communications Act 2003 and they need to modify the Public Order Act so that people aren't arrested for saying what they think. Thank you for listening to the Spike podcast. We're back every Friday and you can now watch us on video too. Check us out on YouTube or go via the Spiked website, which is spiked-online.com. See you next time.